Hi, this is Patricia. And this is Christina. And this is What They're Worth, a podcast exposing the truths of everyday people who are willing to enter the beautiful mess of foster care and adoption. We're glad you're here. Today, we have a new guest on our podcast, and her name is Casey. She's going to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about her story and how she came to adopt through foster care, correct? Correct, yes. (laughs) Hi, Casey. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Hi, guys. Yes, I would love to. Uh, Well, yeah, my name's Casey Stanley. I'm from Minnesota, Um, and my husband and I have always wanted to adopt through foster care. We always knew we wanted to adopt. We just weren't really sure what that would look like. And a lot of that came from just our, our experience in the church and our, our faith and our understanding that we have been adopted as children of God. And that had just always been a, a big part of our heart. And so ever since we got married, we knew that was the plan. And then the more we learned about adoption from foster care and just the need right here in the United States, the more we felt like that is really what we were called to. So I was a youth pastor for like eight years before we um, started this nonprofit that we now run. And we both just love teenagers. And so originally we thought we would adopt younger, like sibling groups. Um, And then the more we kind of got into the journey, we, um, yeah, felt we were really pretty open to like anybody, you know, (laughs) zero to 18, kind of whoever God has for us. Just, we, we thought more about like, who's going to, who's going to be, I don't know, the right fit more for our family than like necessarily this demographic or this age group or whatever. So we met our son about a year and a half ago. He was 12 when we met him. He's 14 now. Um, and he is the coolest kid in the whole world. That's awesome. So how did yeah. you come to meet your child? <laughs> yes. Okay. So to talk about our adoption, I'll have to tell you a little bit about our organization. So we started an organization called The Real Hope Project. Real is spelled with two E's, like a movie reel, um, because we make movies of kids in foster care who are waiting to be adopted. Um, and so about four years ago, we started The Real Hope Project, and we started making these little two-minute profile videos for kids in our state whose parental rights have been terminated, just the ones who are waiting for forever families. Um, so we'd travel around the state, and we'd make these videos of, of kids. And so that we started doing that in 2016 right around the same time that we also started pursuing our adoption and foster care license. Um, And getting our license took like forever because we had lived in California for a while. And that's when we changed my last name. And like, there was just like all these things that, that made it go slow. We moved in the middle of it. Anyway, it took like a million years to get licensed. So we finally got licensed in 2018, I think in August. Um, and then September of 2018, we were going to go do a video shoot um, a couple hours away for this boy named Martez. And so drove down to where he was living at the time and um, did this video shoot and just fell in love with him right there and just kind of knew like, this is this is it. This is our kid. <laughs> and so started then, um, made his video. The worst part was like, this was our job. We have to make this video. We have to post it and share it with the world. But I was like, nobody... <laughs> like posting it but hoping that nobody would reach out about him because we were so excited about him and um so anyway then it took about five months to get through all the paperwork to finally get to see Martez again um and so we made a video we posted it and then we still had to do all the like 
collateral, I don't know what they call them in all the different states, but here they call it collateral meetings where we meet with his social worker or uh, teachers or counselors or whatever to kind of learn a bunch of background about him. So that took a long time as well. And then we finally got to. So did anyone else inquire about him? Yes. And I had to connect them to the social worker. It was the worst. <laughs> Oh, yeah. talk about yes. Well, you know, that, that is, um, that's funny. I, I actually, as you were talking, I'm in my head, like, this is my twin. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Other than the fact that I don't make videos, but a lot of our stories super parallel. Really? Um, yes. We could talk more about that later, but yeah. a lot of it's very parallel, but even that. the fact that, um, my boys were in a pre-adoptive home. Well, I knew them. Okay. okay. I met them. Then they got moved. Okay. And then they were in a pre-adoptive home. My paperwork took forever. And then I tried to find them again. And I was told they were in a pre-adoptive home. And I was, you know, like you're in that spot of like, this is a child. Like, this is not like a puppy yeah. or something. Like it matters like who they end up with and you don't want to be like I'm the yeah right woman because you don't really know if you are totally and it's scary totally <laughs> and you don't really know them really yeah you might know some things about them but it's kind of like dating like you don't really know the person until you know the person totally um yeah so it it's just really parallel um and it really is a testament to how God moves yeah certain things that certain times. And I think sometimes he does that so that when things get hard, we are like, no, God did this. I didn't do it because too many things had to fall. Mm -hmm. I have to tell myself that a lot. Some days I'm like, are you sure I'm the one that you chose? Because I really don't feel like I'm measuring up here. Mm -hmm. And then I have to remember all the little pieces that had to come together for my boys to end up at my house yeah. <laughs> being my children. And then I'm like, okay, probably know what you're doing. Totally. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. I connect with so, with so much of that. And that's what was hard was like to, at least for, for me and my husband, the matching process of this whole journey was like for sure the hardest part, like the licensing's a lot of work and there's paperwork and there's trainings or whatever. But the, the matching part of just like reading a little bit about a kid and then needing to decide if you're going to move forward with that kid or not, like, that was just, yeah. as a youth pastor, I think I thought like, I can love any kid. I can take any kid home and I can do this. Like, doesn't, And then having to read stories about kids and say no was uh, mm. really like humbling to me. And uh, yeah, just like, it was like an identity crisis. <laughs> like, oh my gosh, who am I? And, but then when we mm. met Martez, it was so like, like every, uh, he just fit with, with us so well and it was just super apparent that to, to us that this is who God has but at the same time we'd been in the process long enough to know like we don't know and we don't know his background and we don't know his trauma history and we don't know all these different things um so even as we're like posting his video and praying that he ends up with us it was also like his social worker might decide that he doesn't fit with us and then I'm not going to say no to some other family you know um, I don't even have that right. We would get shut down if I did that. <laughs> and so, so needing to like, as other families also reached out about his video and wanted to know more about him, like as difficult as that was to still connect them to the social worker who we also were working with was like this, it was just a really weird, um, yeah, really weird thing to navigate. But 
but it all worked out. Another question. So before, how did you get to start the real hope before you were being a parent? Like what Prompted brought you. that along? Yeah. Cause that's pretty bold. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it's been a really fun journey. So yeah, I was a youth pastor at this, at a church, um, kind of in the suburbs of Minneapolis. I'd been there for a long time and loved it, but just could begin to sense, you know, that feeling when you're like, God is like prepping me for something new here, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> I'd had that for like a year. And then my church staff went to a conference in Colorado. Um, have you guys ever heard of the Q conference? It's really cool. No. It's called Q because it's like all the biggest questions that our culture is asking. And so there's essentially these like eight minute TED talks about like any kind of hot button issue. So it was like legalizing marijuana, like gun control, like transgender issue, like anything that like sucks the air out of a room. There would be like a little eight minute like TED talk on that. Um, and so there was this one little eight minute TED talk on foster care and adoption. Um, and I like recorded the whole thing. <laughs> Loved it. And they started talking about what they had been doing in or what they had gotten started in Colorado making videos of kids. Um, and I was just like on fire the whole time that they were talking and then got home and did some more research and saw that some other states had started doing similar things. Michigan was doing this. And I was like, we could do this. <laughs> we know the people to, to get this started. So one of our good friends, he actually videoed our wedding. We reached out to him and we were like, would you be open to doing this and volunteering? And um, so took a long time. That was, I think, April of 2016. And we didn't make our first video until like October, September of 2016. So it was about like six months of forming a nonprofit and becoming a 501c3 and getting a board and, and meeting with adoption agencies and meeting with counties and meeting with Department of Human Services and like really trying to like prove that we could do this well and talk with, with vulnerable kids about something as personal and emotional as family when their experience of family has, has been really difficult in a lot of, in all scenarios. Um, and that, that we could do this well, you know, and that it wasn't going to be like a, like a humane society, like Sarah McLaughlin, like sad music or, or this like pitying kind of video, but a video that really celebrates these kids. Um, so it took a long time to get started, but um, by the fall of 2016, we made, I think we made three videos that fall. Um, and then in 2017, we got busier and busier. And now, now it's my full-time job is running um, the Real Hope Project. And we're doing, you know, wow. eight or nine videos. How, how effective is it in connecting kids? Because we have that here in South Carolina. I think they call it the Heart Gallery. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I always wonder that, like, how does this, how does it Yes. Go? Yes. <laughs> it's, it's super difficult to like calculate the effectiveness. Like one of the things we've been looking at is like, is there a way to measure, does this shorten a kid's time in foster care? But there's so many variables to that, you know, like if it's an infant in foster care, that often looks very, very different than a 15 year old in foster right. care. And so like trying to to measure that has been really difficult. But what we have heard from the social workers is that it's an incredibly helpful tool to be able to um, give families to accompany all of the hard stuff. So, you know, when you inquire about a kid, um, lots of times the first thing that you learn about that kid is all their trauma, all their challenges, all the difficult behaviors. And as we all know, as adoptive moms, that can be really hard to see past. Like it can be, it's really scary to just read that on a piece of paper. And it's easy to forget that there's like a kid behind that. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. And so the video is intended to um, 
not like overshadow that, like families need to know about that. And that like those challenges are real, but also uh, the videos intended to remind them like, but this is still a kid and they still have like a laugh and a smile and, um, and they deserve a family. So our organization operates a little bit different than the heart gallery, a, a little bit. Um, in that we really specifically focus on the faith community. And so we go to churches every Sunday and we're like highlighting kids in front of um, churches every single week. And we do other events as well, but really kind of see the faith community as our kind of niche um, demographic. Mm -hmm. And then we give the videos for free to the county or the agency that represents the kids. And we say, you know, you use that wherever you want, recruit families wherever you want, but we know the church world and that's where we're going to like really focus our our efforts. Hmm. So awesome. How long are the videos? How long? Yeah. Um, uh, between two and two and a half minutes. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Super short. We always, there's always like two parts to it. So we do like an interview part um, and then an activity part. So we coordinate with the social worker and learn a little bit about the kid and what do they like to do and what's going to help them like really come alive for their video. And how's this kid feeling about adoption? Are there any kind of tr trigger questions we need to avoid? Um, all that kind of stuff. So we make sure that we are going into it like eyes wide open and, and really honoring that kid's story. That's awesome. It, yeah, that is really it's cool. super fun. Yeah, we love it. <laughs> it's long, super fun. So one thing that we're kind of feeling lately, and I'm only doing um, emergency placements right now, and you're just kind of, you're kind <laughs> of doing them, but she's getting move, ready to move. But we, we talk often about just the need that there is for foster care parents, foster parents, mm -hmm. and there's just not enough. And so when we have these placements, we're like getting begged to, to keep these kids longer and longer. And then we feel guilty, even though it's not for, right for our family at this time. And so I'm when you were talking about interviewing all of these kids, even before you had your son, how did you get kind of past that a little bit when you were making all those videos, even now when you're making all those videos, when you're like, I could take in another kid or five, like I could, <laughs> and I know God would provide, you know, how do you get past yeah. that? Yes, that's a great question. That was the thing that uh, one of the leaders of our training, so when we were in the matching process, at one point uh, we were learning about a sibling group and um, we're feeling like, because for us, it was always adoption. We never were going to do like the temporary foster care. We always felt like our call was to be forever for a kid. Um, so, so that helped narrow our focus a little bit. It was like, we're only looking at kids whose parental rights are terminated and we know they need to be adopted. Um, but then as we were learning about different kids, I just remember being in the process with this sibling group and feeling like we could handle this. Like as we're learning about some other challenges and, and like, we could do it. Of course we could do it, but just not feeling peace about it and feeling like I'm saying yes out of a sense of uh, guilt or obligation. And we called one of the, we called a woman who did one of our trainings and we were like, is this the kind of thing where you're never going to feel a hundred percent sure? So you just have to like jump in or is it the kind of thing where you're like, do not jump in unless you're a hundred percent sure, <laughs> you know, like how do you navigate that? And she said um, to not, for us, her advice that we felt like was really helpful was don't say yes to a kid unless you want to, um, if their challenges sound like something that you want to help them walk through, um, because this is forever, you know, it's not like a, it's not a temporary commitment. And so if you're going into it, like, oh my gosh, I don't know. Um, 
that's going to, you're going to run into obstacles a lot faster. And so for us, we ended up saying no to the sibling group, which was like heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. Uh, But then when we met Martez, even like the, I mean, he, he is such an awesome kid. Any challenges that he does have, we are like, we're so excited to help him walk through that. Like even learning about the different things that he's gone through and the, and the different ways that that manifests, we were like, yeah, we want to do that. And we like feel equipped and excited about like walking through that with him. Um, so in our personal journey, that was like really helpful advice for us in, in looking at forever with a kid. Um, in terms of real hope, when we're like interviewing kids, that's been so different because it's so easy to just like fall in love with every kid we make a video for. And one of the things that we've learned to do, especially with kids who are feeling kind of on the fence about adoption, um, is learning to remove the questions from their own personal experience. Um, And so asking questions like, if you had to explain to an alien what a family is, what would you say? Uh, rather than like, so they can kind of remove it from their own experience and like, okay, this is what I, this is more at an intellectual level, what I would say about what a family is. Or if you had to explain to a kindergartner what adoption means, how do you explain that, you know? Um, and so it's intimidating enough for kids to be talking about family to adults they've never met with a camera in their face, you know? And so anything that we can do to try to help make that a little bit easier and less um, vulnerable for them, we, we try to do that. Does that make sense? Did I answer that? Yeah, I think that's a good (laughs) perspective of if you aren't 100% willing and a little bit excited to help a kid through the obstacles that you know for sure will be there, then that's not only going to be damaging to yourself, but it's really going to be damaging to the child. Or if you're not at least willing to get educated and build that, you know what I mean? Then that could be damaging to, to them as well. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. And it would be like almost like going into a marriage, like, okay, I think I can marry this person. You know, it's like that would not be a healthy start. Yeah, Yeah, that's true. I think it actually does happen a lot. That's a good comparison. Yeah. It is like a marriage. (laughs) It's a lifelong commitment. Yeah, it's a lifelong commitment. So, uh, you know, you could could easily say, I could marry this person and I think it'd be okay. But then not knowing, yeah that's a good way to put it. That's, that's helpful. Yeah. It is such a, um, such a balance of, cause we hear this a lot from people too, like people not getting enough information. Um, mm-hmm. but then also you have like, I'm sure I know there are a lot of people that they don't have a video. They just have the paper, um, mm-hmm. or they don't have anything <laughs> really, right. um, to go off of. And it's, it's really such a balance and I see it at my job as well. Like, um, working residential, I'll get a kid's paperwork and read it. And, you know, sometimes people read horrible on paper and you're like expecting like, Oh boy, yeah. your seatbelt. And then it's like the nicest, most enthusiastic kid or vice versa. You're like, Oh, this is a walk in the park. And then you meet them and you're like, Oh boy. Um, yeah. a lot. So, you know, I, I definitely think that for people that are thinking about adoption or even foster care, that's really, I had a heart for it too, even without really having information. But then once I was around kids, that's what brought me from considering to being convicted that this is something that I need to do. Because 
yeah, yeah. You, can, you can read statistics and please do because those are convicting as well. But mm-hmm. when you get to know a child or even watch a video, you do it, it's easier to understand and see the big picture. Um, and I definitely think we can easily forget that teenagers are still kids. Mm-hmm. And I too received some skepticism from people about older children from the foster care system. And I think the videos do really well with that, but um, that's definitely something that needs to be continued to provide. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. need to know and people need to understand that there are different challenges that come with older children, mm-hmm. but it's not a reason for us not to show up for them. Yes. Yes, totally. Totally. Or sometimes this sort of um, impression that like, oh, well, why would you adopt a kid who's, you know, 15 or 16? You're only going to have them for three years until they're 18. And and so that's been super important for us to remind when we when we go to churches is like family is forever. Your family doesn't abandon you when you turn 18, you know, and like you're going to need a family for the rest of your life, it, like my car broke down when I was like 25. And if my dad hadn't like told me what to do and my uncle didn't let me borrow his car and my brother didn't come and pick me up on the side of the highway, like I would have lost my job. Life would have spiraled so fast if you don't have the safety net of a family, you know, and that, that does not just go away the second you turn 18 and now you're independent and and you don't need anybody. No, of course not. You know, and so helping to remind people, this is not like a three-year commitment. This is a forever. Right. Can you um, tell us now a little bit about just kind of your when we were talking on the phone, talking about the church's narrative about foster care and adoption? Yeah, totally. I think, um, yeah, when we first started, well, first of all, in our own journey, we would tell people, whenever we would tell people that we wanted to adopt kids, um, we would always get all kinds of like excitement and support and enthusiasm and like, oh, that's the best. You should do that. And that was always great and super encouraging. Um, but when we started to say, yeah, we want to adopt kids from foster care, um, inside the church and outside the church, we would often get the same kind of like, ooh, are you sure about that? And like, have you done your research? And have you heard the stories about those kids? And do you know what those kids are like? Here's my horror story from my neighbor's cousin, whatever. Um, and <laughs> it is always like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, cousin. Yes, yes. And, yes. and that just, you know, broke our hearts that that would be the way that, that anybody, but especially within the church that we would respond to, to kids who need families. And, and some of those, like, those are good questions, you know, uh, some of them <laughs> are like, yeah, we should do our research and we should learn about this. Um, but not always what you want to hear from just like a random person at church. That's just like, let me tell you this horrible story. (laughs) Okay, great. Um, and, and then when we started real hope, um, so for, for Pete and I, for my husband and I, ultimately we just decided like, well, we're just gonna, we're gonna adopt kids and that will be how we help to change the narrative within the church around adopting from foster care. Um, but then when we felt like God was leading us toward real hope, we, um, started meeting with some directors of adoption agencies here in Minnesota. And I remember sitting down with one of the first um, agencies and kind of telling her the vision of of how I felt like this could work. We're going to make videos and we're going to, and we're going to bring them to churches. And, and she was like, well, why churches? 
And I was like, well, partially because that's who we are and that's our community. And we feel like there's a specific call to followers of Jesus to be caring for these kids and to, to look out for the most vulnerable. And, and she was like, okay, well, good luck with that. And I was like, what is, what does that mean? <laughs> and she was like, well, our agency has tried to go to churches um, in the past. And she was like, normally the, the reaction we get is those kids, not around my kids. I don't want those kids around my kids. And mm. I felt like I like got punched in the stomach. <laughs> you know, it was like, that is the worst reaction <laughs> that the church can have to these kids and obviously when you're bringing kids home when you're changing your family you need to you need to consider so many things and you want to be wise in how you do that but to to idolize our own families to the point of disobedience and to what God is calling us to do like unacceptable (laughs) and so that to me was kind of a catalyst of like oh we we will focus on the church like we need to change this this narrative within the church and, and um yeah, kind of only only lit the fire more to really be working within our own community. Preach it, sister. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I, I I'm hopeful that 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 is changing. Um, you know, I do. Yeah. I think that there's been more highlight in the media that hasn't been all negative. I think like there used to be a lot of shows where like even like sometimes when my husband's watching like Law and Order SVU, like there's the foster kid. You know what I mean? Like. And they're always like super dramatic and like all this going on. Um, But I think we've had some better television representations lately and movies. Um, But I I think the more of us that do it and the more that people have, like we said, it's not just like their third cousin's neighbor, you know, so distant, the more that there are real people who are doing it the better. But I always say, <laughs> if we're not going to do it, who is? Uh, I, I say yeah. that, especially Amen. to Christians. Like, if we are too good for this, who exactly are we looking for to fill in the gap? Mm-hmm. So if, we, if Christians can't touch mm-hmm. it, who who we calling in? Because I, I don't have reinforcements. Yeah outside of Jesus. So who else are we going to bring in? Who do we see fit to do, to do this? And that doesn't mean every single person, but yes, we can't disqualify ourselves. You know, and I also say, what if I was that kid? You know, what I want, Mm -hmm. how would you feel if you were that kid? You would want people to write you off because of your baggage. I don't know a single person that doesn't have baggage. And if you right. have significant baggage, right. you need help carrying that. And I surely wouldn't want yeah. somebody to just tell me, oh, that's tough. Have fun dealing with that by yourself. Honestly. Yeah. So. And and what's the alternative? You know, some like when we were at churches every Sunday when COVID isn't happening. <laughs> and um and like we've heard really hard stories and we've been really blessed. Like our story with Martez has been obviously there's been challenges and, and it's been a big change, but it's overall been really quite smooth. Um, but often we hear really hard stories and want to have compassion for those stories. And, and, but sometimes people will tell us a story about their neighbor's cousin, whatever, almost in this attitude of like, so they never should have done it. Like right. they never should have 
adopted this kid or fostered or whatever. And it's like, well, what is the alternative? Just let that kid try to, I mean, what is a better option for them? You know? And so, yeah, I think one of the things that has been really interesting when we share at churches, the number one um, reason people give for why they can't foster and adopt is um, I'm too old, which we hear from people who are like, 36. <laughs> it's like, okay, calm down. <laughs> you definitely are not too old. <laughs> and so, but it's just, is like, it comes up for people as like this immediate wall of like, nope, I'm off the hook because I'm 40 or whatever, you know? And so we always point out when we're speaking at churches, is like, there are some stories in the Bible about people telling God they're too old to have kids. And then God was like, I don't think so. <laughs> so, question I question that reason that's funny (laughs) that's funny (laughs) I'm too old yeah you know I mean I've had some pretty tough experiences with older children and Mm. I personally wrestle with that sometimes because uh, I am coming into a different season where I'm like I think my next phase I am going to go a little younger and there's a part of me that has mm. like guilt about that because I know how many people, mm. I don't want to be a part of that crowd that just dismisses, dismisses it, but there are challenges. And I, I would say to the people who say oh. that they're too old, I would say the age sometimes is helpful because People can't see what I look like, but I'm only 28 and I, my child is 16 and I fostered a 17. So I'm barely biologically old enough to be their parent. And I think that some of part of that has made it harder on me than it maybe would be Mm -hmm. on other people. So, And there are, you know, there are things I'm like, I would be okay if I had a child that couldn't talk back. That would be nice. Like, I've only had experiences with a significant amount of mouth. Um, So (laughs) I I think that it's important that we're all honest with ourselves and our shortcomings and and that we don't. You know, I'm not, my hands are not closed to it, but I'm also, it's okay to know where you're at and what you can handle. And I would say I definitely burned myself out at a point. Mm -hmm. And not even if I would go back, I would do anything different because like you said, like, I mean, sometimes you just have to try, but you learn from your experiences Mm -hmm. and you survive, you make it. And I would, I would rather look back yeah. and be like, Ooh, I, you know, I probably could have done some things to take better care of myself than to look back and be like, I just did what was safe or easy. I, w- I would rather have, totally. have tried. And, and I think that community and support and giving yourself grace is really important. And we can't put all the burden on ourselves for, every child, but being open and being willing to listen and not coming with those like automatic, I don't want to say excuses, but those things that we lean on, we hear those a lot too. My house isn't big enough or I don't have enough money. Almost every time I post on Facebook, 
somebody comments, isn't adoption expensive? Like I, without a, that's the one right. I get the most. But then we're like, why aren't you listening to our podcast? Yeah. <laughs> and it's just like, yeah. it's weird because it's like the post will barely be up for five minutes and somebody will, it's like, it's a knee jerk reaction. Somebody has to point it out. And I always right. find it kind of strange. Like I'm all, you know, you know how it's like the person that's offended is maybe the person that has, I'm like, Maybe you're supposed to be doing this because why are you so <laughs> eager to report to me how expensive you think it is? Um, have you actually yeah. looked into it? Like they're like my cousin's neighbor totally. adopted and, it, you know, it was $75,000. And there are those situations, but obviously there's yeah. also ones that are not. I paid almost nothing. Uh, the state pays me yep. to help take care of my kids. So I'm like. Actually, this has been financially helpful (laughs) for me. And I actually am like nervous financially about having a biological child because I won't have any support financially (laughs) for that. Yes. Yes, So there's definitely a lot of misconceptions (laughs) about all of that. And I think if you're truly in it and you're truly surrendered to whatever God's plan is, like God's just going to bring who he has planned for you and it's going to be okay. Mm -hmm. And so like when my husband and I started, like I always thought we were going to foster older kids because I worked at a high school with a lot of kids who lived in poverty and who just, I just saw a need and I was like, I'm going to adopt an older, like a teenage boy. Like that's who I thought I was going to adopt. I had no experience with little kids at all. And then I get a four-year-old girl. And I ended up adopting her. So like, you know, I was like, I'm a four-year-old girl. Like, okay. You know, and then, I mean, we have barely fostered any teenagers. We do like emergencies. They only call me for that. They call her and they call me for all those like younger ones. So like. (laughs) I think they have a code or something. It's just. (laughs) I think they're all like. They'll take little kids, Lana Deers, older ones. Yeah. Without a fail. So I just. Because are you about. Are you about 29 as well? Yeah. So, you know, and at that point, especially we were like, totally like, God, we are ready for a foster child. Like (laughs) we didn't have the apprehension, you know, we go through the seasons where we are, to be honest. I mean, a couple weeks ago, we were denying calls left and right. And my husband and I had to sit down and have a conversation of like, are we still in this? for the right reasons? Are mm. we still in this for the mm. right reasons? Are we doing this based on what we're comfortable with at this point? You know? And so, mm. I mean, we had to have a good conversation about it. And we realized like half of it was we're still in it. And half of it was we're just doing it when we feel like it won't inconvenience us or to children who we feel like mm. are the most, you know, convenient. I mean, I'd say that happened. Right. And then we had to readjust, like, what are we comfortable with? Mm -hmm. You know, and, and re that's important. That was really important for us to continue forward was having that conversation and saying, what's our goal. Mm -hmm. You know, if we're going to do this, we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There are some limits because we have two children now, you know, so some of the things that we can bring into our home, some of the types of behaviors is, or ages even, um, is a little different in this season, but it's easy to fall into that. You know, but at the beginning, yeah, we were like wide open, like, Lord, we are ready for our teenager, you know, and then yeah. <laughs> Lord was like, just kidding, you're not going to get a teenager. Um, and then when yeah. you come being more guarded, that's where all those questions start to surface. Like, do I have enough money? Yeah. Is this a good fit? Is this convenient? Mm-hmm. And it's important as Christians to have those conversations yeah. of, 
this is what I felt when we went into it. Do we still feel convicted? If not, that's okay, but we need to pause what we're doing and revisit that and either get convicted again or like read the Bible some more, you know, or figure out what it is that we need because we can't just keep doing it because it's something we've done. Like we need to be in it for these kids. They deserve that. So I think, yeah, I think it's important for everybody, but especially Christians to like have those conversations. Yeah. Yeah, Because you can't, you can get that way. Like you just get so picky and you're right. It's kind of like, Okay, there is there is a line of discernment, but also like these are kids that are in need, and like it's not really all about us. Yeah, <laughs> like, it's kind of the point. But yeah, I mean, I would say we're recently seasoned at this point, and it does it does happen. That's why it's so important we take care of ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I felt like like for us, yeah, adoption was always number one of what we wanted to do, and then after Martez moved home. I started feeling like for the first time in my life at 32 that that our next step was pregnancy and I felt the same like I felt guilty about it and just was like I am not I don't know why I had like these negative associations with like no I'm an I'm an adopter (laughs) like and this has been so clear to me like how I felt like this where God was leading us and now it's like this turn and it was like in some ways I think an ego thing for me is like I want to be somebody who, I I don't know. I think like we got, just to be really honest, we get a lot of like praise that we adopted a teenager, you know, like all this, like, oh, that's just the best. And I, I love it. Like I've, I've loved that and been like, oh, cool. You know? And so going, going this way has been this, like, it, it was really hard to make this decision. Like a lot of, I'm pregnant right now. <laughs> For those who can't see me. Do it 11 days. 11 days, right? Yes, do it 11 days. And it felt like um, this direction felt like more of like a sacrifice to me of like Hmm. obedience in this direction was way harder for me than the adoption route. Hmm. Um, But now, thankfully, now that she's only, this little girl is only 11 days away, only not that I haven't been excited through the whole pregnancy. I've definitely like the excitement has been there, but now I'm like, okay, I feel ready. Like I'm pumped. This is going to be great. Um, But before that, it really was just a lot of steps of obedience of this is what I feel like God is saying is next. And so we're stepping forward, even though it's scary. And um, which is really cool that I think God always leads us in these ways that force us like this forced me to depend on him more than the adoption route would have at the time. Cause that was just my world and I was comfortable in it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So cool to see how God uses all these different directions. And as we, we actually just today met with our home study licensor to keep our, our license up and, um, and have talked about like, okay, now that we have Martez, I don't know that we'd, we'd probably want to adopt younger than him. And again, felt that same guilt about like, Oh no, but I'm like, I adopt older kids. That's like my thing now, <laughs> you know? And so just having to let go of any like weird growth ego stuff. that right. gets That's why, thank you for being so honest. I feel like we just had a really honest conversation there. And I think yeah. that's why community is so important. Not only just to like share our experiences, but to just be honest about the messy stuff that we're Mm -hmm. feeling 
you know, and, and especially for Christians to keep ourselves in check, Mm -hmm. you know, so like when we feel guilty for not taking another kid, like I'm not just texting any of my friends, I'm texting Patricia because Mm -hmm. I thought my other friends wouldn't be supportive, but she's going to know exactly how I'm feeling and know Mm -hmm. what I need to hear in that moment. Or she's going to know if I need to be challenged Mm -hmm. in a way. And so I think it's so important for us to share all those feelings because people who don't do it don't get it. You know, it's like any other thing in life. So how could somebody understand that you are struggling with a pregnancy, you know, if they've never really Mm -hmm. adopted or been in foster care or whatever, had any sort of this experience, you might feel judged or just unwilling to share that with other people. Mm -hmm. We have to challenge ourselves that (laughs) because I've had to have this. I'm like, I want to tell people that teenagers are, they're just as worthwhile and special as the little kids. You know what I mean? Like give some teenagers some props. But then when I'm thinking about a desire to have younger ones, well, the teenagers aren't worth more than the young, like, you know what I'm saying? Like both both ways, like they're all valuable. People are valuable, not just children. People are valuable. And if there's a kid that needs a home, like why would I have guilt if I open my heart to that? Like it's just crazy yeah. what we <laughs> what we do ourselves yeah. and how we like. It's like mom guilt times a hundred. Like, I really do feel mom guilt is is excelled when you enter into this mm. world. I, I the pressure at least. I don't know. I have never given birth, so I can't say that. Yeah. But I imagine there's there's a whole other side to think about um, when you yeah. when you adopted. I mean, there's a whole other family. Whole- there's a whole other life experience. No matter how long or short it was. Um, there's just all of this stuff. Yeah. You feel like you have to make up for lost time, et cetera, et cetera. And it's, yep. it's a whole nother level. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. We're in a foster care and adoption small group through our church. And that has been the biggest blessing through this thing to just be able to like word vomit, like everything that we're feeling and have everybody in the room be like, yep. <laughs> it's like, Very validating. I'm not like a garbage a person. Simple, yeah. <laughs> A simple yep does like just You're calms like, oh. your soul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. calming. It's it's yeah. It's that little bit of peace that some days you just need. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think all of that is super important. So bringing this yeah. kind of full circle, not mm-hmm. every state has these video things what do you call them yeah not every video profiles them. yeah so maybe maybe this will inspire somebody else to yes start that what if you had to give some advice because you you had a job when you started it you were doing mm-hmm. this on the side what yeah what would be your tip if somebody's interested in starting that where do they even begin oh that is a great question I think to us like the reason that it has worked well in Minnesota, I think is, um, is just building relationships. Like we, before we started doing anything, we just built relationships with different county social workers and adoption agency workers, and just really, um, were able to build credibility that we're in it for the long run and we can, we can do this well and that we are, we are four kids. Um, and yeah, it's been like, I would say our nonprofit is like highly relational. And one of our, um, 
one of our goals is to be a bridge between church and state. And so we're always trying to like build these connections with these kids who are wards of state. And we're, we're wanting to get them in front of the church and, and mobilize the church to bring these kids into forever families. Um, so that's worked well because we, we love these social workers that we get to work with and we love these adoption agencies and we really like try to be a blessing to them. Um, because they have so much, we all know social workers have so much going on and are spread so thin. And so if this can be, if their shoot day with real hope is like their favorite day, cause they're just going to like be loved on all day and we're going to do something fun and celebrate their kid. Um, like that's the goal for us. And so, so yeah. You, do you, so like, if somebody's in a different state and they want to start it, do you recommend they like get a nonprofit started and then like reach out as that nonprofit? Or did you reach out just as you and say like, this is what we're thinking of doing. Like, is there interest for that? Like which, which came yeah. first? Egg? We really did it simultaneously. Um, okay. I had like a weird level of confidence that this was going to work. <laughs> so I just started talking about it. Like it was a thing before it was a thing. And then it became a thing. <laughs> Okay. So you really just kind of jumped headfirst, started reaching out to people. Yes. I kind of approached it like, we are doing this. We are Mm -hmm. inviting you into it. And Minnesota, every state operates differently. So Minnesota is very county by county, uh, Mm -hmm. which not all states are. Some are much more top down. Um, But for us, we kind of knew like, well, we can, if this county is skeptical, that's okay. We'll go to this county. And eventually somebody's going to say yes, and we're going to be able to prove ourselves. And that's kind of what happened? One of the big counties here I went to early on, and they were like, "That's never going to happen in our county. Like, there's too many privacy laws and confidentiality laws." And I was so discouraged, and then went to this tiny little county, and the social worker I met with was like, "Yeah, let's let's get something on the calendar. I've got a kid right now in mind that needs a video." <laughs> it was like, "Okay, great." Uh, and then, like two years in, now this this really large county is is partnering with us and we've made videos for tons of the kids in that county now, but it took a long time to, to earn that draft. Well, I know we're going to link um, your information. So if there is anybody and they're interested, I'm just going to go ahead and tell them they can talk to you and, and yes. you will help. Yes, please. <laughs> that would be great. Yes. <laughs> I will be on maternity leave pretty soon, <laughs> but I'll get back to you. They'll answer your email. No, <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It'll sit there in your inbox until you're ready to open yeah. it up. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming on and um, sharing what you've done and how you just really surrendered to God's plan for you through all parts of your story that you share today. That's really encouraging. And just for being super vulnerable and honest about your good stuff and the tough stuff. That's what we're all about. That's what people need to hear who are in this, especially who are already doing it. Um, felt very convicted with a lot of what you said today and um, look forward to following you and seeing your new little baby so soon. Congratulations. Thank you so much. (laughs) You're welcome. If you liked today's episode or any of our episodes, we'd really appreciate a kind review on Apple Podcasts or just to share with your friends who you think might be interested in hearing the stories that are told. 